I walked away really thinking about listening, listening to the people who are struggling to help them move forward in problem solving. And I just think that I don't do that enough personally. Like I really need to stop. I'm the kind of person who really likes to implement ideas and take action. Like if you need someone to take action on ideas, I'm your gal. But when it comes to stopping and really, really taking like deep listening, emerging myself in a culture to understand what teachers need before I go in, I think I need to do more of that. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Matthew Worwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this podcast, we'll be talking about various creativity topics and how they relate to the fields of education. We'll be talking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and exploring new perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers, administrators, and emerging scholars with the information they need to infuse creativity into teaching and learning. So let's begin. Hello and welcome back to our first debrief episode of the 23-24 academic year, but also our first debrief episode of season seven. Cindy, how is the new academic year going for you? And also, how is the new job going at Curiosity to Create? It's going phenomenal, Matt. I love the start of the school year. There's something really magical about the first day and my kids going back to school and talking with teachers who are going back to school. How about you? How's your beginning of your semester going? I think it's going well. I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasm from both the faculty and also the students, which is great. And obviously, we want to try and maintain that enthusiasm and excitement, even when we start facing those bottlenecks and feeling the pressure of time constraints. But, you know, every year I feel just a little bit more organized, which assists in addressing those challenges when they arise. So, Matt, let's talk about our five guests of the first part of season seven, which They were Katie Trowbridge, who runs Curiosity to Create. We had Izzy Giselle, who is former educator, current organizational alchemist. Then we had Morgan Vane, who was the CEO of Design for Emergence. Then we had Peter Wichtel, who was the teacher, the high school teacher who came up with all those great ideas for his classroom. And then we had James Kaufman, who is one of the leading researchers in the field of creativity. So these debrief episodes, we each pick three things that we walked away with, and we don't know what each other picked. And we talk about what we learned from those five episodes. So Matt, what's your first key insight? I think I'll start off with our episode with Katie, which was our first episode of the season, as you referenced. And we got into a great discussion around critical thinking and creative thinking. And I think part of the reason why it was such a great discussion is because it's something that Katie has not only thought a lot about, but kind of integrated it into the work that she does. And you and I have spoken a lot about this as well, this idea of creativity as a construct and then how that might slightly differentiate itself from creative thinking, which contribute to creativity and how we study creativity and outcomes that we consider as being creative. And the discussion really centered around the importance of critical thinking. And we spoke a lot about the relationship with convergence as well. So we've got all of these ideas and now you have to think critically about the problem, about the people impacted by the problem and select that idea that is most relevant. And without that critical thinking, we can sometimes begin to make assumptions. We can perhaps sometimes select the idea on the wrong piece of information. And that discussion continued to highlight to me the value of critical thinking as well as creative thinking 
as we continue to try and bridge the gap between what we understand about creativity and how we can cultivate and promote it in a classroom environment. Well, I think what was interesting, Matt, is our discussion after that conversation, because I always say that I teach creative thinking, because when I say I teach creativity, people often go to, oh, I teach you know creative writing or I teach the arts, but they don't really understand the thinking aspect of it oftentimes. And so I've always used, you know, I teach creative thinking for a living. And I think your view is more, I teach Like when you talk about teacher creativity, you talk about creativity, not as much creative thinking. And you said to me after that session with Katie, now I see how you see creativity embedded as well in critical thinking because it does play a role in critical thinking. But we often, as researchers look at it, they often see, and teachers, they often see it as creative thinking is divergent thinking and critical thinking is convergent thinking. But creativity actually plays a role in convergent thinking and critical thinking as well. So if you're looking at selecting ideas, it's not just about, okay, I'm going to go with this idea, but is this idea going to bring me novelty that is useful? I mean, we could keep talking on and on about this. I mean, when I think about creativity, I think about the sociocultural perspective as well. There are so many factors associated with creativity. And I think a lot of those factors expand well beyond, particularly when we're talking about kind of, you know, little C, pro C and big C creativity. So many of those factors expand well beyond creative thinking, the individual, and arguably beyond critical thinking as well. So, you know, you think about James Kaufman when he's referenced, I think for the second time in our show, he says, well, it all counts. I think what it comes down to is there's so many things that we can do in a classroom environment to increase the creative output of our students, to increase the creative output of our work. And critical thinking, like creative thinking, is part of it. I don't know if you're saying that creative thinking is also critical thinking or creative thinking is part of critical thinking. I do see them as two different things, but I love the discussion. I just continue to keep evolving every time I interact with you on this topic, Cindy. Yes. And I think that creativity, I don't know if it's creative thinking or creativity plays a role in the critical thinking aspect that we need to keep novelty alive, essentially, because so often we just crush the novelty that we just spent all this time coming up with, right? So we need to make sure. So it's like a critical perspective of the creative. How about that? Yeah. And I have to tell you, this conversation, we are probably doing a lot of critical thinking as we wrestle (laughs) with (laughs) this relationship between how you and I view creativity and also that relationship between critical thinking and creative thinking. So Cindy, let's get ourselves out of the weeds with this discussion. What was your takeaway? So one of my takeaways, I don't know if it was a takeaway or just a gigantic smile. So when we spoke with Peter Wichtel, and I apologize, Peter, if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly again, but when we spoke with Peter, who is a high school educator who worked with his students to come up with a 204-foot charcuterie board and all the elements that came with that and the collaboration and the creativity and bringing in science and math, and it was just so inspiring. And just thinking about The things that people are doing out there that are really, really just, I mean, in my opinion, like over the top, amazing, like things you wouldn't expect, things that are surprising. You know, I love those sorts of stories because they're so inspiring to other teachers. And it was inspiring to me because even if I'm not going to create a 204 foot charcuterie board, 
with, you know, my students, I'm still going to think about what are some cool, interesting things that I can really bring to make their experience memorable or really interesting or stand out in some sort of way. Yeah, I really liked it. I can't remember how you phrased the question, but you asked Peter a question to that point is that, right, not everyone has the means or capacity to go and take on a project the size of your project, but you phrased it in a way that invited Peter to share different approaches or perhaps different magnitudes of projects to which a teacher or a community of teachers could take on. I would highly recommend to anyone who, you know, is somewhat ambitious, adventurous, has a high tolerance for ambiguity to go and check out that episode with Peter, because just the idea, particularly maybe around, you know, small school communities to embark on a journey, perhaps a year journey to go and break a record of some sort, that in itself, I think is very, very special. And as we covered in that episode, there's so many different aspects of creativity and problem solving that goes into achieving that goal. Yes. And I love the fact that it really brings to life all of these different creative thinking skills, these creativity skills that we talk about. And I bet all of those students, when they're 80 years old, will still be talking about how they built that charcuterie board. And those are the kinds of experiences that really stick with us and are memorable and enjoyable. And even in a small capacity, when I ask people, one of the first questions I ask people is, you know, can you think of the most creative educational experience you've ever had? And oftentimes people can't think of a creative educational experience, but I can tell you when they can, they light up, they tell me all the details, they tell me about the instructor, where they were, how old they were. And I just want to see more of that happening inside the classrooms. Do you want to bring more creative and critical thinking into your school? Look no further than our podcast sponsor, Curiosity to Create. Curiosity to Create is a nonprofit organization dedicated to engaging professional development for school districts and empowering educators through online courses and personal coaching. And if you're craving a community of creative educators who love new ideas, don't miss out on their creative thinking network. Get access to monthly webinars, creative lesson plans, and a supportive community, all focused on fostering creativity in the classroom. To learn more, check out curiositytocreate.org or check out the links in the show notes for this episode. Okay, Matt, back to you. What is your second key insight? My second key insight, and, you know, there's so many different episodes are my favorite episodes for, for lots of different types of reasons. So it comes down to kind of like, you know, what perspective or what hat I'm wearing on a given day. But I really enjoyed our episode with Izzy Giselle. And I think I enjoyed it simply probably because we did that activity around improvisation. But there was a few things that I want to just kind of like share after that discussion. The first is, I love this idea of, we've spoken a lot about improvisation. I remember Caroline Brookfield in, I want to say season two or season three, was also a, a comedian, spoke a little bit about the use of improvisation to help promote creativity and how we can use improvisation in a classroom environment. But, you know, in that conversation with Izzy, what helped me make the connection stronger was the discussion around constraints, first of all, is that, you know, typically when you engage in some type of improv exercise, there are constraints. And so the activity that we did in the show, for those of you who didn't listen to it, is he had us kind of create a story and we had to go around one after the other saying one word. 
And I referenced the fact that it wasn't two words, it was one word. And that was a constraint that I found quite difficult. And collectively, we produced a creative outcome despite the constraints of the challenge. The other piece that I really liked from that activity was the discussion around sometimes you're leading and other times you're following. I specifically remember with that activity, I would say a word to set Izzy up, but then there was other times that I was following from what you had given me. And Izzy had referenced, as we was discussing that activity later on, he'd referenced the fact that sometimes when we're engaging in the creative process, we're leading, and other times we're following. And so I thought that was kind of a really good takeaway to kind of think and reflect upon, particularly from a classroom environment when you're engaging students in a collaborative process. And the final thing, less of a takeaway, was me to say that I've been using improvisation with my class over the last couple of weeks. It's been a wonderful experience. I'm really surprised about how comfortable the students have been as I've kind of picked on them and got them to stand up and role play different scenarios associated with the learning objectives that I'm trying to teach them in that particular lesson. I love the fact that you've brought it into your class and you're already trying things out, Matt. Congratulations on giving it a try and taking a risk. I've always found that my students enjoy doing improv if I bring in my own enthusiasm, but I recognize not all teachers feel comfortable doing things like that. And I really, really wish, I think this didn't make my top three, but it was definitely an honorable mention that I really, really wish that teachers had a chance to take an improv class in their teacher training because it really showcases cognitive flexibility and playfulness and humor and just being open to ideas. I mean, it really exemplifies the creativity skills that we talk so much about on this podcast. And I think taking an improv class as a teacher is a great idea. So for those of you listening, we will have a workshop on the Creative Thinking Network around improv. So I hope to keep you posted on that, Matt, and maybe you can join as well. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing, Cindy. All right. What's your second takeaway? My second takeaway was Morgan Vane's episode around emergence and design thinking. And I walked away really thinking about listening, listening to the people who are struggling to help them move forward in problem solving. And I just think that I don't do that enough personally. Like I really need to stop I'm the kind of person who really likes to implement ideas and take action. Like if you need someone to take action on ideas, I'm your gal. But when it comes to stopping and really, really taking like deep listening, emerging myself in a culture to understand what teachers need before I go in, I think I need to do more of that. So it left me thinking about working with teachers and doing professional development with teachers and really understanding the struggles they're facing as a school district, as individuals, before I go in and try to help them bring creativity in. Yeah, that's a really great takeaway. And I think you're highlighting such an important principle of design thinking. I've got so much to talk on the topic of design thinking because obviously it's something that I do a lot in not just my work at the University of Connecticut, but also when I'm working with teachers. And you know, one of the main principles of design thinking, understanding the problem, yes, but understanding it from the perspective as is often referred to as the end user. I'm always sensitive to using the word end user in a teaching and learning environment, but at the end of the day, typically teachers are using and experiencing the outcome of our actions. And so, you know, end user, I think is still applicable even in that environment. And when we go about engaging in a design thinking process, 
we have to get a really good understanding of the people who are going to be impacted by our actions and using the thing that we're designing. Otherwise, we're making a whole bunch of assumptions about them. And as you've referenced, the ability to listen, to reflect, is critical within the design thinking process. And the reason why I've taken some time to answer your takeaway is because I discussed with Morgan some of the challenges in the real world when doing this because design research takes time. And design research is where you go and do your best to listen to the end user. And when I'm working with students or even just working with teachers, sometimes we already feel we know what the solution is. And it might be that we do know what the solution is because we've got a lot of experience. But if we haven't really committed to listening and fully understanding what we perceive as a solution from the perspective of the person who's interacting with that solution, we could be missing an opportunity to tweak it or modify it in a way that would make it so much better than it actually is. And you throw in the fact that we've got challenges of time constraints, which was another thing I spoke in Morgan's episode. It's hard to find the time to listen and then find the time to take what you heard and begin to modify a solution that perhaps you were so excited to be implementing and getting started with anyway. Right. And not just listening, but active listening, like really focusing in on every word that someone says and being able to, you know, have the brain space to take it in and really reflect on it. I think it's really challenging. Absolutely. It is. You know, I remember reading something that Richard Branson, you know, had written on a LinkedIn page about the fact, you know, he spoke about, you know, quite often when he's in meetings, people, you know, almost like present themselves as listening, but they're actually thinking about the next thing that they want to say. And hmm. I've spent years trying to be better at that because, and I tell you what, Cindy, it's one of the things that I love about the podcast because it forces us to listen to what our guests are bringing us. And it forces me to listen to what you're bringing to the conversation, to make sure that I'm responding to what you're bringing, as opposed to letting my brain wonder on what I want to say next. And as soon as we're starting to wonder what we want to say next or what, and, and to put it back into the context we're talking about or thinking about what we're going to do because we feel we've now solved the problem, right? We're actually not listening. We're not actively listening in that moment. Right. And literally, as you're talking to me about that, I'm thinking I'm going through the same thing right now as I'm listening to you. So I'm trying to really be active and listen to you. But then sometimes, especially on the podcast, it's like I have to respond right away. I've been listening to you or if I've missed a beat and I've sort of spaced out for a second, I'm like, how do I get back in? So it is really funny, especially in the context of thinking about it in the podcast. Love it. So Cindy, I'll share with you my final takeaway and I'm going to stick with our conversation with Morgan because as I've referenced, I'm really passionate about design thinking and try and get better at teaching some of the core principles of design thinking in my classroom environment. And Morgan offered a specific strategy to assist us when we're trying to get a better sense of the user and the user needs. And that was the idea of shadowing. And I think shadowing is an activity that we can do quite easily in the classroom environment. And in the example, Morgan had spoken a little bit about imagining that you have a particular disability, for example. So what I think I might do is bring in my crutches from when I had my knee operation last year and actually have students move around the building with crutches. Because when I was on crutches, I was suddenly 
in a situation where I was developing a better understanding of why it's so important for people to have disabled bays near their destination, the challenges of steps, the challenges of opening a door, the challenges of carrying something, and whether it's crutches or another way to which we can try and actually step into the shoes of the end user or step into the shoes of someone else, this concept of shadowing, I think, is a wonderful activity to just get students thinking about that. I love that, Matt. And I think if we look at it from a teacher perspective and professional development and going into a school and observing what teachers are doing in schools, because every school is different and every school has its own culture. So even if you've been a teacher for 20 years, going into another school, you're going to have a whole nother set of complexities that maybe you haven't had before. So I think being able to shadow schools that I'm working with is something that I was thinking after that is like, how can I get into a school before I go and work with them on professional development and creativity and get an experience of what it's like to be a teacher in the classroom? And it would vary between, you know, one school district to the next school district based on the values and the culture of the school. Yeah, great idea. And I'm sure you can relate. I've implemented the same workshop in lots of different schools. And if you yep. don't fully understand who you're working with, it's going to be very different. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> not be great. All right. So what's your final takeaway, Cindy? So Matt, I want to talk about James Kaufman and our double espresso with him, because we talked about the creativity advantage and the five insights that he had about the benefits of creativity. So he talked about self-insight healing, connection, drive, and legacy. And I walked away with so many more questions. I wish we could bring him back to ask him because I was thinking about other benefits of creativity that I've experienced, that I've researched, like being a good problem solver, being more empathetic to others because you see things in different perspectives, seeing the world through possibilities, So I just want to talk with him about how he came up with those five and what others he sees as being benefits of creativity. And I'd love to know from you, like what other benefits do you see of creativity? You know, I'd had the opportunity to chat to James a little bit when he was putting this book together and this sense of purpose and meaning. And I'd referenced this in the episode, but when my grandfather retired as a coal miner, He didn't know what to do with his life. And a few years ago, I stumbled across an old cassette tape of when he was being interviewed because of his artwork. And in that interview, it was very clear that his work as an amateur painter and artist had given him new meaning and purpose in his life. And the idea, James talks a lot about legacy, and I know that you've spoken about legacy from a less positive perspective, But this idea that his work will continue to endure beyond his lifetime, I think, at least from being his grandson, I feel I've got a piece of him and arguably a piece of his creativity, which I think is very special. And so I think purpose, meaning, and work enduring, producing something that endures beyond your lifetime is very special. And I think it's very relevant to the question that you just asked. Well, and I think, you know, Matt, you brought up my feelings about the word legacy. I find that legacy has, 
ego attached to it. And that's my own view is that I think it's attached to it. And I don't like that. Like, we're also, you know, we're going to do things that we're going to do such things that are so big and so monumental that we're going to leave a legacy and people are going to remember us in a hundred years. And I don't like that. What I liked was in Michael Hatch and Hansen's episode, and I don't even remember what season one that was, maybe season three, he talked about being a good ancestor. And I like that framework a lot better. But I actually, when I read The Creativity Advantage by James Kaufman, and he talked about legacy, he was talking about it not from an ego perspective, but from a perspective of, I'm holding Play-Doh in my hands right now. I'm always holding Play-Doh when we do these episodes because it gives me something to play with. Obviously, that's why it's called Play-Doh. But what I'm thinking about is, you know, someone created this Play-Doh. I don't know who it is who created Play-Doh, but someone created it and that's their own little legacy. So the way he positioned legacy in his book was much less ego-driven than how I've seen legacy in the past. So my my question really is like where was where does problem solving fit in? Where does seeing possibilities fit in? So I I think I need to have another conversation with him. Yeah, and I think what it might come down to is you know, legacy might represent what you've contributed to the world. And that contribution is actually because you want to have an impact in the world. And it's about, to your point, being a good ancestor to others. Whereas when your work and what you're contributing is primarily about serving you and elevating your status and making you feel more important than others, because you've got a bigger, more gigantic legacy than your next door neighbor, then perhaps that's when the ego has taken control. And, you know, we spoke about meaning and purpose. My gut feeling is the meaning of your work is probably, I think, less powerful even to you than when you're just doing work out of love and a desire to change and benefit others. I completely agree. So, you know, it's sort of a yes and and a yes but. Yeah. And also, guess what? We're highlighting the facts. And this was in Morgan's episode. By having a discussion, we get to explore different perspectives. This is another wonderful thing when you actively listen. And I'm trying to, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but when you actively listen, you will begin to understand how someone else is interpreting a word, how someone else is interpreting a situation, how someone else is impacted by a problem in a way that you didn't know. And it's not always about it being different. It's just about expanding your knowledge of others who are sharing the same environment to you. I'm really glad in some ways. My takeaway from this episode, Cindy, is the conversation you brought around active listening. Hmm. Well, Matt, I think we've had an amazing first half of our season seven, and I can't wait to see what happens in season seven, part two. Absolutely. And I tell you what, I really enjoyed the conversation with you, Cindy, and I can't wait until our next debrief in five episodes time. So Matt and I have some new mugs out. So what we would love for you to do is to go onto your favorite listening podcast platform and write us a review. Send us a screenshot of the review at questions at feelingcreativitypodcast.com. And we will send you a mug, a feeling creativity mug. So my name is Dr. Matthew Wellwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This podcast was produced by Matthew Warwood and Cindy Burnett. The episode was sponsored by Curiosity to Create.